Project A podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Project A podcast for founders. This is Charlotte again. I lead the venture development team at Project A and I'm really, really excited for today's guest on the episode. This is actually our second take. We weren't satisfied with the first one. So welcome back to the podcast, Tony. Really excited that to have you here today. Tony is former CRO at Plan Day and at Falcon and is now productizing all of his learnings and experience in scaling revenue operations in his new role as founder and CEO. Welcome, Tony. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me on this uh, on the podcast again. Uh, wonderful to be here. Yeah. Um, and um, yes, my, my journey really started with Falcon. Uh, Falcon, I always joined them as one of the first five, six, seven, eight guys or something like that. Went through all different pieces and tracks there um, and really ended up focusing on, you know, how to build revenue uh, as my number one topic there um, across my across almost my whole tenure. Uh, spent three years in the U.S. Um, you know, obviously, you know, cool, fun journey to be there, but also you know, really understanding how the U.S. is doing things, especially in 2015, 2016, when some of these SaaS things weren't yet completely standardized across the Atlantic was extremely helpful for me and really getting under the, under the uh, you know, getting this approach really under my skin. Um, and yes, it was a fun journey with Falcon. I think we scaled it to 30, 40 million uh, before we sold. Um, then I spent another year helping with the integration Um but then, you know, I jumped off and, uh, and went actually to, to Plan Day. Um, and at Plan Day, very, very similar story. Um, I guess they've been around for much longer, actually, but I've been, again, focusing on the whole revenue line item uh, for marketing, sales, CS, and revenue operations. Um, and that journey was a, a bit faster. Uh, really kind of joined there um, in, you know, early 2020. And then we sold the business, actually, to, uh, to zero just roughly one and a half years later. Yeah? Um, and after those two cool journeys, where I learned a ton, uh, my co-founder and I, Olafur, uh, basically decided to, hey, let's take all of those learnings and, uh, and build another company out of this, uh, which now is Roblox. Uh, and maybe talk about this uh, a little bit later into this uh, you know, episode here, but um, that's, been, that's been my journey so far. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, as you just explained in your introduction, you went through... All of the different sort of maturity stages in terms of in terms of commercial um, at Falcon, and then joined Plan Day at a later maturity stage um, in terms of revenue as well in terms of commercial. If you were to yep. give advice to other founders out there that would apply to each of those maturity stages, what would that be? And maybe maybe you focus on the one or two that you feel most comfortable in. Yeah. Um... So let's just zero in the commercial stuff because I'm not the product market fit expert in this sense. Um, and, you know, right now there's, you know, these things are starting to be really nicely organized, right? You have a product market fit stage, you have a go-to-market fit stage, and then you scale up and sustainable scale. Um, and uh, zeroing in on the go-to-market fit stage, which is really something that, um, you know, I, I went through painfully uh, with Falcon, right? Kind of really the whole hey, we have a thing that we can sell that's pretty cool. Uh, we have sales reps that are able to do it, not just the founder. Um, and now what? Now how do we scale that thing? Um, and, you know, back then, and this was 2013, 2014, and, you know, people are much more educated by now. Um, 
But our way to you know sell this more was like let's just hire more salespeople. You know, let's let's put more account executives on that on that uh, into this office. And let's onboard them. Let's be super sophisticated about the ramp up time that they have and our expected you know quota whatever. Um, and we you know it worked a little bit for a while um, until we realized that it didn't, which actually caused quite some quite some trouble, right? And you know, learning number one here. Um, you know, maybe this is, you know, a couple of levels too high up, but it's like every, everything's a system, right? Actually adding all of those account executives uh, to your team, you know, it's not going to help you grow your revenues. Not, not, not in the way you think. Um, because really, where did this buyer journey start? It didn't start at the demo with your account executive where they can help you, right? Um, uh, it started, you know, much earlier. Uh, either it started on a... A cold call of one of your SDRs, if you have something like that, or it started actually, you know, on paid search, or it started in demand gen, or it started on an event, or something like that, right? And you know, applying system thinking to it, um, it's it's like adding a lot of processing units, you know, account executives, and that have just nothing to process, right? And then you get into this, you know, and sometimes that's also you know difficult for culture. First of all, your A's are not hitting target. Uh, meaning, you know, they will be dragging down the organization emotionally. But also the next thing you will do is like, well, then you need to pick up the phone and you need to kind of, you know, uh, you know, try and get some customers in. Um, and, you know, I found that account executives are just not uniquely well positioned to be good at that. Uh, it's also really difficult, by the way, on the one hand side to work on a sales cycle that's three to six months, 20 to 50,000 euros ACV. And then, you know, after lunch, pick up the phone and do some, you know, 40 cold calls. It's, it's really difficult to kind of piece these two things together, right? Um, that, is, that is kind of, you know, uh, one of those go-to-market fit learnings, uh, if you will, kind of especially, especially on the Falcon side. And we went through like an aha moment and then there was a, oh, wow, we need to restructure the whole organization. That wasn't fun. Um, and I would like everyone to avoid that moment to happen. Um, but, you know, Reaching those aha moments was then extremely, you know, was always extremely valuable for us and the organization because suddenly we had clarity. It's like, oh, okay, this is how you, this is how you generate revenues, right? Um, which then also helped us to track it and so forth. Um, but that's and really that's really a thing, especially on the on the on the Falcon side. Yep. And so, at what point in time was that? Like, what you know, what funding round had you gone through? How large was the organization? Like, how big was your your sales teams? You know, what were like some of yep. the, the supporting functions in terms of in, in terms of uh, revenue operations? Yep. Um, so you know, the typical AE quota based approach. This is from you know day one. Uh, basically even before 1 million euros and then we hired a couple of AEs and um, and um, and we're thinking to scale it like that. Um, around that time, probably also around 1 million, again, probably also around 1 million, really kind of back then you didn't, you know, you didn't have those those thresholds and those goals so clearly defined. It's like, yeah, we have revenue and I need to look it up and know what it is. But, um, you know, going back to kind of that point, um, we weren't really uh, thinking about the opportunity production side and really kind of when it all broke, really, uh, was a little bit, you know, after 10 million, actually. So for some magical reason, you know, it worked out up until 10 million. We thought we had the go-to-market fit nailed. Um, you know, we thought we know exactly what we're doing and we just need more money to scale this now. And then I think we had the Series uh, B uh, back then. Um, and then obviously it's from 10 to 20 or then, you know, 20 to 40 and whatever. Um, 
you know, doing that exercise without truly knowing what you're scaling is, um, you know, every textbook tells you not to do it, but obviously when you're in that situation, you, you do it anyway. Um, and at least, you know, if, if anything is being taken away from this, you just kind of ask yourself the question, do you really actually understand how you're going to get there? Or is it more of a, Hey, you know, let's just keep doing what we've been doing before. Right. And one of the, one of the sayings we had was, uh, what got us here won't get us there. Right. Um, and that's kind of the thing kind of, you know, I'm, I'm repeating this daily almost here with, uh, with Growbox right now, kind of to really make sure, you know, how we got here is actually not how we're going to go further. Right. But also thinking, you know, you asked, how did the organization look like? Um, at that point we had, you know, probably 10, 15 AEs or something like that. We we're very heavy on that side. And our scaling exercise was making this 30, right? Um, while keeping marketing the same, while basically defunding SDRs, because they're just, you know, it seemed like they were just sitting around and being lazy and being on Facebook all day. Uh, you know, it, that's what it seemed like um, until we did the analysis in the revenue operations team. And we realized that, you know, after everything is said and done, this outbound thing worked pretty great for us. Um, and then also realizing, hey, we actually don't need 30 AEs. We only need 10. And those 10 will, you know, make bank. They will be happy. They will be successful. Um, and all that money that we save from the other 20, we can put this into marketing the margin, into paid search, into SDRs, into events, into partners, whatever other channels we kind of have in order to supply those AEs with enough, you know, demos, if you will. Mm -hmm. And if you were to summarize the outcome of this analysis in terms of uh, you already already touched upon it a little bit org building you know tool set uh, processes goal setting um, what what did Falcon look like after you had made those changes Yeah, we changed our obsession. Uh, we changed it around from actually trying to increase quota on the street as as you know the the main metric to and at first I was laughed at. Uh, to uh, opportunities is king, actually. Uh, that's that's basically what it was. So the whole organization suddenly, you know, it took obviously a little bit, but shifted to how can we create more ops? That was that was the question. Um, and you know, how many how many more can we get from sales themselves? How many get from SDRs? What is marketing doing in order to create opportunities? And how you know we set up we set up a Slack channel. Uh, to basically celebrate daily how many opportunities were coming in, right? Um, and and I recently, you know, I've been out of Falcon now for a while. Recently, got a LinkedIn message from uh, one of the SDRs, and now it's kind of you know manager and everything. Uh, but they hit a hundred opportunities created in one day, you know, now, right? And this is this is absolutely crazy. We we started out with celebrating three, right? That was like a great day. Um, and, and now they're at a hundred, right? This machine is still kind of running in that sense, right? And, and really the obsessive focus on, you know, I think other people will call it pipeline or uh, SQLs. I don't, haven't seen anyone focusing on MQLs yet obsessively, but really opportunity as, you know, the stage that the whole organization can come around to and be like, yep, yeah, you know, more of that. And if we get more of that, which we can see daily, we know we will get more of the revenue, you know, you know a little bit later. One of the things that I find interesting, and, and I see this a lot in, in our portfolio um, at Project A, is that the the link and fruitful collaboration between marketing and sales is always a tough nut to crack. And from what mm -hmm. you've been telling us, you know, as 
uh, a revenue leader uh, owning in marketing sales, customer success and revenue operations. How do you make sure that there was an aligned incentive throughout those functions? And what were maybe some of the, you know, um, rituals you implemented or um, a specific tool stack that helped you there? Because we, we see this a lot when we work together with our portfolio companies and and um, many of them spend uh, a long a long time figuring out how exactly to set this up successfully yeah yes um so somewhere here in that question obviously roblox could be part of the answer and i'll kind of set that aside um but um so this this age-old problem of sales and marketing misalignment right it's this whole hey i created a lead um you just didn't follow up on it on the marketing side and the sales side saying like your, your leads are shit, right? That's the typical thing. Um, and I, you know, revenue operations is part of the answer a little bit here. Um, but I also think it's um, creating creating a team, right? Let's. This is to a large degree also a human thing that needs to happen, right? Um, sales obviously knows that they're dependent on everyone else right on product they're dependent on you know marketing they're dependent on outbound you know even much more worse so you know cs you could say um but there's a lot of focus on sales right um and you know sales they don't actually have another choice than to partner with all of these other departments um because otherwise you know this uh you know they're, they're also not going to succeed right um and things i did here is really to create a you know um we had all kinds of different, you know, names for my for my specific teams, but basically create a revenue team really as a leadership team, right? Um, and all being like, hey, we need to hit this revenue number, and those are the different roles here. And if anything fucks up in this process, we will not hit this hit this number, right? So what I, for example, did um, with my uh, you know opportunity generating uh, in our teams, which was busy outbound and marketing, uh, and we didn't hit the numbers. We, we met, you know, weekly, discussed why, you know, what's wrong where. Um, and, you know, if if one leg was not delivering, you know, how can the other one take over? Instead of always being like, well, you know, you, you failed and, you know, I did my job well, right? It's at the end of the day, if, if either fails, then, you know, it's not going to be, you're not going to be hitting the target, right? Um, and I think then the other thing, um, which usually is overlooked in this whole, sales marketing uh, tension is um, is target setting, actually. You know, what are the right targets for each of these different teams to actually go after? Um, and, um, you know, one typical one is, you know, marketing delivered 1,000 MQLs last year uh, and we're growing 100%. So it needs to be 2,000 MQLs this year, right? Um, and, you know, those MQLs have a specific conversion rate and it's going to be great and, you know, opportunities and customers and so forth. The problem is, though, that um, if you give this kind of goal to your marketing leader, uh, you know, there are like a gazillion ways to get those additional 1,000 MQLs, but there are only very few ways to get those additional MQLs uh, having the same quality as the, you know, the first 1,000, right? That's, that's really the problem here. And uh, if you brush over this, uh, then, you know, the VP marketing, once he or she is being pressured, which will, I can guarantee 1000% happen, you know, they will flick to, oh, let's do some ebook downloads and let's call them MQLs uh, and then high five when you hit 2,500 
but the marketing leader knows and the sales leader knows that none of these things are actually going to result in the customers that you know someone said right so really kind of think deeply about not only what metric do you give to your marketing leader uh, in order to align them with uh, with sales but also um, you know uh, in that process have a conversation you know how to get there what the thoughts are go a little bit more into detail and like hey those demo requests they are really cool uh, those content downloads they are not really cool um, how can we get more of those demo requests right and you know i expect that the next 1000 mqls coming from you ideally are 500 demo requests just the, the mix that was like uh, last year as well right in order to keep kind of parity up and if you don't, because sometimes in a scale up, you, you can't just scale, you know, that great channel, you know, infinitely, um, then at least there needs to be okay. But, you know, if it is the other lesser uh, MQL here, um, then maybe I need more instead of 2000, maybe not 3000 in order to hit the target, right? What does it mean then in terms of staffing, you know, inbound reps? What does it mean then in staffing, you know, all kinds of other functions? And those then need to be thought into, right? Because I feel, um, especially, uh, especially kind of when this goes wrong and there's lots of pressure on the system, people will start self-optimizing for their little turf, uh, even though they know better, they will say, well, I hit the target that I was given. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm off free, um, but really creating, uh, you know, targets that completely align both sides and then also, you know, uh, have a way for them to collaborate that helped me at least, you know, try and get some of that tension away. It was never you know that sales was like oh sorry marketing actually delivered too much i never heard that either right so it's there will always be some tension and there should be some tension by the way i think some tension is good and um, it just shouldn't be you know all out like conflict this is super interesting from let's say um uh, the management and leadership perspective that that you're um that you're taking here and and as you said earlier today, you know, 2013, 2015, you know, things weren't as advanced as they are today. You know, um, knowledge wasn't shared, let's say, between what was happening in the U.S. and what was working out in Europe. So how would you describe has the the role of such a commercial leader in, uh, in a scale up changed over the last couple of years? What are yeah. some of the things that, you know, these roles used to focus on and, and what they focus on nowadays? Yeah. Um, so I think back then, and I can only talk about Europe, you had a lot of first timers. Uh, that was one thing. Or you had people from Oracle and SAP that, you know, didn't really help you much. Um, and uh, now it's getting like hyper, hyper specialized, right? You have like, I'm a great VP sales for three to five million. I'm a great VP sales for 10 to 25 million, you know, and I'm a great VP sales for 50 to 100. Um, and I think that there's a little bit more specialization happening in that end. Um, but I also, you know, know that the playbooks are just starting to be more and more settled. Actually, it's getting more and more clear how this whole thing works. Um, so there's way more expertise to draw on from, you know, you know, stand on someone else's, you know, giant shoulders, right? I'm not, maybe I've butchered this one right now, but you know, there, there's, there's a lot of learning in the industry that, um, that can help you try and avoid some of those mistakes, right? Um, and you know, you will keep having your new things that, you know, evolves like the, uh, you know, probably the most recent one, product like growth, PLG. Um, it's, you know, you could say to a degree, it's kind of a, 
a rebirth of freemium and trial. Um, I would cut it a little bit too short. Um, there is just a stronger collaboration, you know, in that specific sense with product and with, you know, trying to drive growth loops out of the product directly, right? Which is something that in more traditional SaaS companies previously has been probably been ne neglected. Um, I also think that it gets a bit more complicated. You can't just be the, hey, you know, give me those leads and opportunities and I bet them in and that's fine. Um, you know, the, the buyer is way more educated by now. They, you know, sometimes don't even want to talk to a rep. Uh, you know, they just want to buy uh, even for, you know, $10,000, $20,000. So we recently were like, you know, very few employees, but we, we decided to buy Gong. We didn't want to talk to a rep. We were just looking, hey, can we've used it now in five different companies. We know how this thing works. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't want to talk to someone that kind of tries to, you know, squeeze a weird deal on us. Um, I think that's going to happen more and more. I think people are getting more and more comfortable with um, and trusting of those brands and then buying directly. Um, and I think especially PLG is kind of the, the, the center where all of this currently comes together and is creating lots of confusion, right? Some, some buyers don't want to talk to your rep. Some buyers maybe initially don't want to, but then they need help. The sales assist, right? You have your straightforward product-led growth, and then you have a sales assistant there. And maybe that that touch from your side shouldn't be as salesy as, as you think. Maybe it's more of a helpful kind of, you know, almost a CS kind of, you know, mindset. Um, and then you have those folks um, that, um, you know, and you could say that's, you know, the, the more senior executive leaders of some of those companies, they don't want to go through your trial. They don't want to click around and figure out themselves. They want to talk to, you know, someone, uh, get the explanation, you know, uh, you know, figure out what this is about and then make the decision. Right. And, and I think, um, PLG is helping fantastically with that, you know, first part of the process, uh, implementing it is going to create lots of pain across your, your go-to-market, uh, functions. Um, but in the end, you're really just optimizing for how someone wants to engage with you and you should totally do that. Right. And as a, you know, that was the original question, as a commercial or go-to-market leader, you just need to kind of uh, figure probably more and more out what you're really optimizing for. Um, is it for the process that you want to impress on the customer? Or do you start to see it more and more the other way around? You say like, well, you know, whatever the potential customer wants, I need to build my organization around that, right? Um, and yes, you know, some of those playbooks aren't that completely, you know, uh, laminated yet uh, and, and distributed many times. Uh, PLG is still new. There's, there's still lots of, uh, lots of conflict that happens on go-to-market teams in both motions in like, hey, I have a demo, organ a demo uh, you know, request and now I want to do the trial with a credit card checkout. You know, how are the rules of engagement here with the sales team? But also the other way around, Hey, I have a trial and that's how I started out, but now I'm attracting more, more enterprise customers. You know, how do I now add the sales team to it? Right. And those are just things that haven't fully settled yet, uh, in my, from, from my perspective so far. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Um, I'd love to understand a little bit better. So in, in the functions that you, you were talking about marketing sales, CS, rev ops. So how would the collaboration with the product then look like, and what are some of those, 
uh, let's say, um, product manager skills that you would need in this sort of setup, which might be question mark different, you know, from like, let's say your, your regular standard product manager. So I think on the, um, so I think it's a great question. I think on the, uh, plan day side, what we realized there, um, actually was that at the end of the day, uh, product will likely be, uh, your main bottleneck. Uh, at the end of the day, that's probably what it's going to be. Um, so uh, in our case in Plan Day, we had to kind of adjust the product a lot for different segments and for different markets. Um, and while commercial had all of those ideas, let's go to Germany, let's go to the UK, let's go to Spain, let's go to the US, let's do APAC. Um, you know, really kind of product couldn't, you know, just couldn't follow that quickly. And it was also stupid to do it like that, right? So truly understanding what the product limitations are, um, you know, that, that helps you a little bit to optimize your commercial team around that uh, because it then, you know, forces some of the trade-offs around, uh, you know, which market do we really want to go to and why? And no, we don't have five options. We have one option, here, right? Um, and, um, and what we learned here on the, you know, I built a proper product marketing organization around it, interfacing with a product management team. And maybe this is kind of the different skill sets around it. There was a lot of analysis on, you know, commercially, hey, how's the market? You know, what are the competitors? What are the expectations? Where do my potential buyers spend time? So how can I talk to them, right? All of that good stuff. But it also went into, hey, what are the product expectations from those potential buyers? Um, and, uh, you know, how can we make sure that that as a use case is translated properly to the product management side? So obviously, in the best case scenario, both product management and product marketing are kind of speaking the same language, but they will come at it from kind of slightly different angles, obviously. Um, and what we, because we were like, hey, you know, uh, how can we expand internationally so regionally faster without putting too much strain on product? We basically had like um, two strategies. Um, number one, uh, deeper product for the regions that we're in. And let's keep building on that. But let's create, you know, number two, a slim product that we could sell for a cheaper price globally, right? And then, then based on, you know, wherever we see a pickup, uh, you know, we could then double down and go deeper into that market, you know, add additional go-to-market functions in that area. And uh, the other strategy was um, what are use cases and really kind of set of features that are the same across different markets or across different segments. So where can we get, you know, the proverbial, you know, bang, you know, more bang for the buck per feature, basically. Uh, thinking about it not only from a, hey, there was this feature request for the UK and we're going to build this now, but hey, there's the same feature request across many different markets. Um, and, you know, taken together, maybe it's more important than this other feature that we were thinking about, right? Um, so really kind of approaching, um, approaching uh, the product conversation and product management and really the prioritization and a product is always about prioritization really approaching that from a you know potentially you know more commercially minded angle without the hey i have a customer that wants to sign it's a million dollars and now we need to build those five weird features right kind of have more of a commercial analytical product arm you know aka product marketing to help you with that Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting that you're touching upon this because that's the, the same thought that I had as you were speaking, thought to myself, you know, in this sort of setup, um, 
product managers, you know, do they work alongside or work along, you know, sales KPIs, you know, and I was thinking like, that's super interesting because then, you know, your product analytics become, or you can tie them directly to, you know, commercial goals, which then give you that alignment that you need between, you know, those revenue functions and, and, and then also the product development functions. And, and maybe in another podcast, we can hear a product manager share some thoughts on, on how that actually plays out in their role. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. <laughs> no, for sure. So first of all, you know, zooming one step out from only focusing on marketing or sales or CS and like, hey, you know, we need to look at the whole thing here. But really kind of the step that you're taking is, well, isn't there one more zoom out step here, including product? And you're absolutely right. Right. Um, you will you will probably for that though you will need just a you know CTO CPO and a CRO that just get along really well um, mm-hmm. and I think you as a as a founder a CEO you know you will dabble in both of those areas probably right it's not like completely hands off um, but creating clear directions uh, for those leaders and they don't need to be called see something and see something but uh, you know creating clear directions for those leaders and essentially also for the organization um, is, is, is pretty, I mean, everyone keeps saying that it's pretty key, obviously. And what I've, what I've been seeing a lot, you know, and the trap I fell in myself and, you know, keep falling into it and it's like useless wisdom almost, but um, fewer prioritization, uh, f- fewer priorities is always a really, really good thing. Uh, working with one customer here on the Growblock side, uh, they want to grow to, you know, five different markets. Um, and, um, you know, that's like, why, well, we need to grow by X and, you know, this is where the market share is. So that's what we kind of do in those five. And I was like, and, and product, can you actually have you figured out, you know, what the differences are? It's like, yes, product will be a little bit behind. And I'm like, okay, I, okay. I get it. I totally get it. Um, and I get the growth pressure and everything. Um, but you know, especially entering a new market is a little bit of a product market fit kind of conversation all the time. Right. Uh, and do you even have the brain power? Not, I'm not talking about hands on keyboards, but do you have the brain power nece- uh, necessary in order to figure this out for those five markets in the next 12 months? Because, because that will be also your bottleneck. Right. And, and if you don't, what you're going to end up with is, uh, probably a little bit of a demoralized organization, uh, but also pretty useless marketing and sales dollars spent, you know? And I'm not talking, hey, your calculation needs to be X, but you know the first stuff that you're gonna force into that market, uh, it's gonna be super expensive. And if it's gonna take another two to three years for a product to really catch up, you know that that equation will stay like that for the next two to three years. Uh, and even worse, you know, at that point, uh, you might have developed a bad reputation in that market for like, ah, I know these guys are cool, but they don't really fit, right? Despite you maybe at that point fitting fully. So, um, you know, anyway, that's, that's, you know, I've, I could go on on this one for a while, but, uh, you know, really trying to figure out what is the one or two things you're optimizing for people call it North star and all of that jazz, but, um, uh, you know, to then help you, uh, you know, try and make it easy for your CRO and CTO to like each other, you know, maybe, maybe you see it like that instead, you know, <laughs> which is both that this one and the priorities so much harder to do than you think. Yes, no, for sure. Yes. 
Um, we're, we're half an hour into the podcast. I think now the time is right, if, as you just teased already. Tell us a little bit more about Growblocks and how you're productizing everything that you learned and have seen over the last few years together with your co-founders and team. We've, we've had this scenario happen to us a couple of times, you know, as C-level in those scale-ups, uh, you know, CEO and CFO go out to fundraising, uh, you know, someone from the VC side is like, mm, shouldn't you be tripling this? And, you know, why is this gross margin not looking the perfect way? And then the next day, uh, CFO comes back with the Excel spreadsheet where all of that is fixed, right? Hey, oh, suddenly you tripled your revenue as, as, as planned. And suddenly your gross margin is at 80% and you have the golden formula and rule of 40 and everything is there, right? Um, and, um, and then, you know, uh, you know, funding closes, money is there. And then CFO forwards email with Excel attachment to me or to Olafur. And it's like, okay, Tony, uh, can you please execute this now? Right? So this happened to me, this happened to me a couple of times. Um, And, um, and, you know, without knowing, uh, Olafur kind of, you know, used to be the CEO of uh, Templify, actually also kind of another SaaS here in, in, in the Nordics. Um, but, um, you know, we almost without knowing it developed more and more uh, different ways of actually kind of meeting this top-down plan, right? That was a typical top-down plan. We want to go to that revenue number. We want to have those metrics at the end of it. Um, and then, you know, what's really missing in, And I would say almost all organizations is a proper way to kind of meet that top-down plan with a bottom-up approach, right? Basically saying like, how many people do we need to hire? What are the strategic projects in order kind of to move that needle to be 80% G, uh, G, uh, gross margin versus that? Uh, what are the other things we need to do? And, and most importantly, when do we do them, right? Because lots of, lots of growth, uh, you know, lots of people talk about growth and forget about that it's both an ARR number at, you know, at the end of the year, but it's really about time, right? When do you actually kind of get to kind of do all of these things? Um, and Roblox does that uh, in, a, in a nutshell, right? Um, you would come to us, you would say, hey, we want to grow to X, uh, you know, by the end of the year, we would um, uh, pull data out, out of your go-to-market system. You probably have a structured, you know, session with some of your, uh, you know, commercial leaders, Uh, putting all of these things together would give you a, hey, this is your revenue engine and here are the improvements that you're planning to do. And if you run all of those improvements and additions of team and so forth through that revenue model or the revenue engine, you will get there. Is that enough? Is that not enough? You know, how do you want to do that? Um, and that's usually when uh, some CEOs and some people kind of wake up a little bit um, and, um, you know, we, we really kind of, able to you know deliver massive value and, and making sure that either they're just now or they have a conversation with the board or you know whatever um and that's really what uh, what Olafur and i and actually andrew is our third co-founder um what we're productizing right now we're still super early on uh, so still a very kind of hands-on engagement with our customers um but that's um that's what i'm using all of that go-to-market knowledge for uh you know right now uh, really kind of prioritizing exactly that Awesome. Um, and, and maybe last question to, to wrap this up. How has your transition been from being a, a CRO, you know, being a, actually an employee of a company now transitioning into actually being the founder and CEO of your own company? Yeah. Um, it started with uh, arrogance, I would say. It's like, how difficult can that be? You know, um, 
because I worked with the CEO and founders, you know, of, of those other companies really closely. I was like, they're fantastic people. I can do this. Um, but you know, it very then quickly went into like, you know, okay, this is uh, this this is this is not as simple as I thought it would be. Um, I mean, so number one, obviously, start from scratch. Nothing is there, right? And probably most of the people on this, you know, uh, listening to this, probably have been there as well. Um, I think for me particularly, um, you know, I've been always the scale guy. So you know, more, 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 and faster. And you know, why why don't I have infinite funds? Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a very much of a different thing to navigate now, right? Um, and despite having been, you know you know, CRO and, you know, looking after revenues, I've never actually been, and, you know, obviously that was stupid now that I, that I know that, but I've never been so close with the customer actually and kind of really understanding what is it that they want, what is it that they need. Um, and obviously when you're in a, in, a, in a founder situation, you can't afford to kind of gloss over those details, right? Um, would that have helped me in Falcon and in, in a plan day? 1000%. Uh, was not part of my day to day though, so you know, massive fail there. Um, but that is fundamentally different, right? Um, and you know, uh, as a CRO, you see like churn and you see it in a spreadsheet or in your BI or whatever. Uh, it's different when you're the one on the call. Not that we had any churn yet, but you know, we get uh, you know, specifically said what was good, what wasn't good. Um, and when someone says your baby's ugly. That hurts, you know, and, uh, and it's a good thing also, but it hurts, right? So those are some of the transitions I would say from, you know, CRO to, to, to founder, if you will. Thank you so much, Tony, for on one side sharing your experience and your learnings on, on anything commercial and revenue operations with us and also sharing that last bit of wisdom and all the best for you and, and Growblox and can't wait to see where you take it. And uh, hopefully we'll do another podcast in maybe six months, 12 months. And I'm going to be really curious to see where you've taken it then. So thanks Wonderful. a lot and see you soon. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors and digital experts, Join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com.